Chapter 4 of Italian Life and Legends by Anna Cora Mawit Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 4 The Convent of Vallambrosa. King Victor Emmanuel has recently made a law to protect the hospitable monks of Vallambrosa or, rather, to prevent their compulsory hospitality from being too largely abused. The founders of this ancient monastery of Vallambrosa decreed that all travelers should be welcomed, lodged, and fed, free of charge, for three days. The object of this charitable provision was, doubtless, to secure rest and shelter to weary pilgrims bent on holy missions. The monastery soon became celebrated, and yearly increasing crowds thronged its ever-open doors. Though no remuneration for most bounteous cheer can be demanded, a compensation dictated by the generosity of the guest is always expected, not however, always received. Holiday people from the neighboring towns have trespassed in such large numbers upon the liberal hospitality of the monks that in the summer of 1865 they prayed the king to devise some method which would guard them against imposition without violating the rules of their order. The king's ingenuity must have been severely taxed. Finally, he announced that no visitor could be received at Vallombrosa unless he presented himself furnished with a passport. Regular tourists and strangers who form that portion of the community from whom the monks are certain of remuneration are still welcomed, while the Italian pleasure-seekers of the neighborhood, who have no need of passports and who carry no purses, are excluded by the royal edict. This law inevitably created discontent. On several occasions, excursionists have only been informed of its existence at the doors of the convent, and have wrathfully demanded admission, and caused such a disturbance that the monks were compelled to summon military aid for their protection. Valamboza is a corruption of the original name, Valambrosia, Shaded Valley. In 1060, this lovely location took the name of Aquabella, beautiful water. Some of the most renowned poets have commemorated their visits to Vallambrosa. Ariosto and Milton have left their footprints in the shaded valley and by the beautiful water. Aurora Lee, looking with disappointed eyes upon the peaceful, cultivated landscapes of England, and contrasting them with the picturesque scenery of her beloved Italy, says, Not my chestnut woods, a Vallambrosa, cleaving by the spurs to the precipices, not my headlong leaps of water that cry out for joy or fear in leaping through the palpitating pines, like a white soul tossed out to eternity with thrills of time upon it, not indeed my multitudinous mountains sitting in the magic circle with the mutual touch electric 
panting from their full deep hearts beneath the influent heavens and waiting for communion and commission. According to San Giovanni de Giatano, who writes from the solitary cell he had made for himself at Vallombrosa toward the close of the fourth century, the shaded valley was, at that period, a wild forest infested by noxious serpents and beasts of prey. It has now bloomed into an Eden. Vallombrosa is twenty English miles from Florence. After reaching the valley of Pelago, which lies four or five miles below the monastery, the rest of the journey must be made on foot, in the saddle, or in a sort of rude wicker basket placed on sledges and drawn by oxen. Ladies are usually consigned to this extraordinary conveyance, and learn to their amazement what an amount of jolting and bouncing feminine humanity can endure unfractured. The road follows the course of the mountain torrent, but has no particular interest until it reaches a grove of superb pine trees, whose sombre branches meet in irregular arches overhead. Further on, the traveller is suddenly charmed by what appears to be a noble English park. Verdant lawns and fertile meadows, pasture grounds, alive with herds of cattle, small lakes, used as trout preserves, and the whole girdled in by magnificent forest of chestnut, beech, and oak. The herbage is remarkable for its unfolding verdure, and even in winter retains the vernal freshness imparted by the moisture of the mountain streams. The convent is of massive structure and forms of quadrangle, with vast paved courts and high towers. It covers as much ground as a small village. In times of war, the gates are closed, and the hospitable monastery is transformed into a redoubtable fortress. The refectory accommodates 200 persons. The extensive library contains many valuable manuscripts and rare volumes. The chapels and spacious halls are embellished by fine paintings. The front windows of the convent command the whole valley of the Arno to Florence. The hills above Lucca and the Carrara Mountains rising grandly in the distance. Male visitors only are received into the convent. About a hundred yards from its principal entrance stands a rude, dilapidated albergo. This is styled the Foresteria, where the gentler sex are lodged. A monk, who is selected for this especial duty, superintends their entertainment. The Holy Brother, who holds the office at this moment, is remarkably handsome and conversable, and not particularly monastic in his deportment. But he could not occupy so agreeable a position until his fitness and religiosity had been well tested. The doors of the convent are every morning surrounded by a crowd of needy peasants, women and children, who come to receive their breakfast from the charitable hands of the monks. Halfway up the steep declivity, which rises in the rear of the monastery, upon a projecting cliff, stands a small white building, with an untended and weed-grown garden, oddly styled the Paradisio, 
this little paradise is used as a hermitage by the most holy of the monks and their solitary meditations not unfrequently induce the state of semi-trance called ecstasy the monastery of valambrosa was founded in the eleventh century by giovanni galberto he was the son of lord petroio in valdepesa his family was one of the noblest the richest the most powerful in florence his history is very remarkable at eighteen years of age he was a gay cavalier wholly absorbed in worldly and sensual pleasures at this period his beloved brother hubert was killed in a quarrel by a young nobleman a life for a life was the cruel creed of the cavaliers of those days not alone giovanni's rage and grief but his code of honor impelled him to vengeance and he resolved to take the life of the assassin one good friday morning he went forth clad in armor and followed by his retainers to attend mass at the san miniato al monte passing through the narrow road that leads to the basilica of sal miniato he unexpectedly encountered the murderer of his brother the latter was unarmed and alone the adversaries stood face to face the fiery giovanni drew his sword and at the signal the swords of his followers flashed from their scabbards giovanni was in the act of rushing upon his foe when the culprit threw himself at the avenger's feet extending his arms in the form of a cross and in the name of that merciful saviour who upon the day which they were both celebrating died upon the cross and pardoned sinners in dying supplicated giovanni to spare his life and pardon his crime giovanni paused in his soul there was a fierce brief struggle between mercy and revenge but compassion prevailed with a grand impulse of pardoning generosity he sheathed his sword stretched out his arms and said thou hast slain my brother be a brother to me in his stead if thou canst filled with contrition his adversary flung himself weeping into giovanni's arms bewailing his deed of blood and again and again declaring his unworthiness to receive that forgiveness which had been so nobly and promptly granted this incident is commemorated by a fresco placed in a tabernacle on the wall by the roadside upon the very spot where it occurred giovanni after embracing and comforting his foe led him to the church of san mignato whither he was bending his steps the legend says that when the reconciled cavaliers knelt before the crucifix the lips of the saviour smiled upon giovanni and the head bowed in approbation giovanni was so much overcome by this miraculous manifestation that he forthwith renounced the world and joined the fraternity of san mignato here he led so exemplary a life that when the abbot died the monks proposed although he was only twenty-three years of age to elect him as their head but he declined the distinction upon the plea of his youth 
at a later period he retired to the solitude of Valambrosa, and there built himself a small cell beside those of the two hermit monks who had made that wild forest their abode. This trio formed the nucleus from which sprang the holy order of Valambrosa. The miraculous token vouchsafed Giovanni became widely known, and crowds flocked to see him, to receive his pious counsels and his blessing. Some even assumed his rude garb and bore him company. Emperors and nobles poured in their treasures to establish a community which boasted a founder so saint-like. The monastery became very wealthy through these endowments. The Countess Matilda was one of the most lavish in her benefactions. Victor II conferred on San Giovanni Galberto the title of Abbot General of the Order. He was then 72 years of age, but his humility prevented his ever assuming the robes of his office. He waged uncompromising war against the corruptions of the age and succeeded in abolishing many abuses. He died in 1073, 88 years of age, after having passed 70 years in religious seclusion. The present extensive buildings of the monastery were erected in 1637. For a long period, the monks of Valambrosa strove in vain to obtain possession of the crucifix from which Giovanni affirmed that the Savior had bowed his head in token of heavenly approbation. The monks of San Mignato clamored against this demand of the brethren of Valambrosa. This crucifix had become one of the most valuable possessions of San Mignato and drew crowds to the church. Finally, Cosimo III, over whom the monks of Valambrosa possessed great influence, prevailed upon the fraternity of San Mignato to consent to the temporary removal of the cross to the eighth chapel of the church of San Trignata, and to wait until the proper authorities could decide to which fraternity it ought to belong. No satisfactory decision was ever given, for the crucifix to this day remains at Santa Trignata. Tradition declares that Giovanni Goberto performed numerous miracles, and there is a famous well near the sacristy of the church of San Gianni in the Piazza San Trignata, the waters of which, having been blessed by the relics of this saint, are said to have effected wonderful cures when a malignant fever ravaged Florence in 1580. In the 15th chapel of this church, there is a painting by Francesco Corsi, representing San Giovanni Gilberto in the act of pardoning the murderer of his brother. Banquets are given in the monastery of Valambrosa upon certain festivals, and at the same time a sort of rural fair is held. The peasants assemble on a green sward before the convent and sing improvised verses to popular airs. On the festa of the Assunta, the monks present several young girls whose blameless conduct has entitled them to reward with a small dowry which enables them to marry. The celebrated monastery of the Camaldoli 
is about 10 miles distant from Vallombrosa. It is situated on a rocky slope of the Apennines. The adjacent mountains are bleak and barren, but the region about the Camondoli is an oasis of fertile and picturesque loveliness. The brethren of the Camondoli are a branch of the Carthusian order and own a vast and productive territory, well-stocked dairy farms, extensive meadows, highly cultivated fields, and forests which produced, it is said, the finest timber in the world. There is a sort of penal branch attached to this institution called the Sagro Ermo, or Holy Hermitage. This convent is located amid pine forest on the very topmost height of the Apennines. From this altitude, both the Adriatic and Mediterranean seas are visible. The climate is one endless winter. The church is encompassed by small, rude, isolated huts, and their inmates are essentially hermits. The discipline is very rigid. The monks hold no communion with each other. Speech is forbidden. They have no life in common. His scanty allowance of bread and vegetables is passed to each monk through a trap door, which opens from the wall into his cell. Twice only, in the year, animal food is supplied. The sound of the human voice is never heard, except in religious exercises in the chapel. The monks are summoned to prayer seven times in every twenty-four hours. Two luxuries alone are permitted them but it is said they rarely avail themselves to either. One is access to a large library of historical and theological works from which they are allowed to select books. The other is a small garden attached to each hut, which they are at liberty to cultivate. But the books remain unopened, and weeds possess the neglected earth, which might be embellished by hardy flowers. The community of the Holy Hermitage is composed of three classes of monks, novices who must prove their fitness for the monastic life by two years' residence in the Sagro Ermio, before they are permitted to take their place in the more agreeable monastery of the Camaldoli, monks who are sent to the Ermo from the Camaldoli for a certain period as a punishment for the transgression of some of the rules of their order, and men who come voluntarily to this place of penance, hoping to atone for great crimes or to deserve great future happiness by the joyless rigor of their lives upon the earth. It is in the chapel alone that the members of the community meet and there the visitor may see one of their commonest penances. It consists in prostration at the foot of the altar, the arms extended to form the figure of a cross, the forehead struck violently against the marble steps. This act is often performed several times by the same penitent during a single service. There are two or three high festivals in the year, upon which the monks are permitted to converse and eat together, and some slight addition is made to their bread and vegetables, but there are monks who never avail themselves of this indulgent, 
who never changed their diet and whose voices have never been heard in those walls except in the offices of the choir this rigid fasting and meditation is said to produce the most seraphic visions the records of which are preserved in the archives of the sagro ermo not to so ascetic an order belong the jolly monks who invented the game by us known as that of domino monsieur amadeo de ponteon gives us its origin he says that in the sixth century in a convent of benedictine brothers two monks fra ormeo and fra giacomo were condemned to do penance in the same cell to while away the tedious hours they contrived a game to be played with small square stones upon which they had ingeniously made certain black marks representing various combinations but as they were aware that the abbot was in the habit of making his round at stated times in the corridor of the cells they hit upon the plan of chanting at short intervals in a loud voice dixit dominus domino to make the abbot believe that they were engaged in their orisons this game we are told was the game of domino which took its name from the last and upon which they paused to play end of chapter four